You're listening to The Love Yegg Show. If our city could talk, these are the stories it would tell about the people, places, and passion in Edmonton. We interview difference makers in our community. Please welcome your hosts, Sherry Beauchamp and Jesse McCracken. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Love Yeg Show. My name is Sherry Beauchamp, and I'm here with Jesse McCracken, my co-host. Hello, everybody. Today, we have a very, very special guest to us. Um, She has been a part of Legacy from day one. Since she found out about it, she was like, I'm in. Probably one of the second people after Jesse that I actually told publicly about this is what (laughs) I'm thinking this is what I'm doing and she was like done she's now our events coordinator so she's also helping in a bunch of different ways to kind of continue for us to grow and and continue to share what we do with everybody and our kids are have also been members of Junior Legacy from the beginning so I am super proud to introduce Jenna Kirkup. Hi hello hello welcome Thank you. And I wanted, I've been wanting Jenna on for a long time. Um, I think you are super inspirational in a lot of different ways in your life and what you're doing as a parent, as a person in your business. You have a new, unique business that you work in, which requires, uh, you know, sometimes literally a thick skin, you know, it's outside of the box <laughs> kind of stuff, right? So you, you are super interesting and super I just appreciate what you do so much. Do I appreciate that? I wanted to kind of give people an insight into like, who, who's Jana? Like where, you know, where'd you grow up? Where'd you come from? How'd you land in Edmonton? All that, all that good stuff. Okay. Well, it wasn't a big distance for me because I grew up in Sherwood Park. Um, (laughs) You know, headed to the big city, but no, I grew up in Sherwood Park and actually we lived in Sherwood Park for quite some time. My husband and I, Um, I have a, I'm trained as a high school teacher, spent much of my life as a junior high and senior high high school teacher, uh, close to 15 years in that profession, and have always lived in the Edmonton area. Um, Love the Edmonton area. I think it's fantastic. Um, We've been now officially Edmonton residents for four years after we moved out of there. Yeah, I am an ex-teacher turned skincare business at home because that's how life took us. I am a biological mom. I have an adoptive mom, but I'm a mom all in all. I'm a wife um, and I'm just someone who loves to uh, give back and kind of leave this world in a better way than we than we got it in terms of creating stronger community and better relationships um, with people, empowering people to, to be their best. Very nice. I love um, it. Yes, you know, I um, I... I obviously got introduced to you through Legacy Egg, but I was knew of you before I met you because I sold, um, I was the listing agent of the house that you bought. <laughs> you seriously? Oh my yeah. goodness, that's so yeah. funny. Yes. Yeah. Well, welcome and, back to my house. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then I kind of, and then I think through, through, uh, Legacy, I, we started following each other and I can agree. Like you're always very, very positive and anything that you say, um, really has a lot of like meaning behind it. I don't find that you just like to put up a lot of fluff out there. And so that's something that I noticed right away before I actually like met you and you know, the more Legacy kind of moves on, I'm getting to know you better and it's been a real pleasure. 
thank you. That's so funny. You should have said something before you silly lady. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, random. Random fact. <laughs> <laughs> the world had our paths colliding before yeah. we even knew it, Jesse, right? Yeah, is that the truth? <laughs> That's awesome. So I wanted to kind of discuss or let people into, I mean, I know this is very personal because even in our own family, becoming a mom, our situations are um, unique as just the way our family evolved or happens or, you know what I mean? And so I wanted to ask you about your journey to motherhood. So how, how did that start for you? Uh, well, I always knew that being a mom was, was part of what I, I wanted to, to do. Um, I'm someone that struggled with endometriosis and polycystic ovaries for most of my life. Um, and when it came to fertility, that became a challenge for us. Um, and the likelihood of us having um, biological kids without, you know, any kind of intervention was not going to happen. So thanks to, you know, modern science and some good old fashioned just <laughs> go get it done kind of attitude. Um, we were blessed with our daughter nine years ago um, and uh, our biological daughter nine years ago, which was incredible. Um, that was a great opportunity to experience kind of that gift of carrying a child and doing all of those things. Um, after she was born, that door was closed for us um, in terms of having more biological children. And But we knew that that wasn't, the biological part wasn't the important part to us. Um, went throughout our process, we'd actually explored adoption before we went um, the IVF route. But when we looked at it and it worked out, it just, the sequence changed, right? Uh, we knew that after our daughter was born, that our family wasn't done. Um, we wanted her to have siblings. We knew that we had more to be able to give um, to the kids. And so we kind of went back to adoption. And after having done all of our research and looking at different things, we knew just that gut feeling that, you know, that we were called to um, be international adoptive parents and transracial adoptive parents. Um, and that's when the Democratic Republic of Congo kind of fell into our lap or, or we found it or discovered it and, and became connected to it that way. So we started that process in... January of 2013 is when we started paperwork. I'll give you the cold notes version. Um, by mm -hmm. July of 2013, no wait, yes, by July of 2013, we were um, eligible to be matched. We were matched with our boys in October of 2013. By the following spring, so spring of 2014, the Congolese government had legally made them our children. Um, at that time, so when we were matched with them, they were five months and 17 months old. So less than a year, just over a year, everybody a year and a half. And then our daughter was two and a half at the time. We, with all the red tape and governments, and I can use all sorts of words, um, but they were, our boys were stuck in the Congo and couldn't leave for quite some time. We weren't actually able to get them home until November of 2015. Um, in that time, I traveled twice to the Congo, once to spend about three and a half weeks with them, and then once with, that was with my husband. And then this time last year, or not last year, this time in 2015, I was actually hopping on a plane pretty much to go over there thinking we were bringing them home. I spent five weeks over there with them, wasn't able to bring them home, flew home without them for the second time, which was absolutely devastating. Um, not knowing when we'd get them home or we'd get to see them again. Um, but thankfully, with some incredible, incredible women, um, both in our Canadian government and through um, 
immigration specialists. We were able to bring them home in November of 2015. So at the time they were two and a half years old, three and a half years old, and our daughter was four and a half years old. And that's it. <laughs> We've been home ever since. So um, I went from, you know, an, a mom with one kid at home to a mom with three kids at home, literally overnight. Um, we joke about our weekend in Belgium where we, my husband and I hopped on a plane on Thursday morning and we're back Saturday evening with <laughs> two extra kids. <laughs> and that's been life ever since. So it's kind of par for the course how, what that is. So obviously our sons are black. They are dark skinned boys. They were born in the Congo. They have beautiful melanated skin. Our daughter is white like us. Well, she's like my husband. So she's not quite as pasty as me, but uh, <laughs> we have a very different family and a very conspicuous family. Uh, we stand out when we walk into anywhere, really. So yeah, that's kind of our journey to a family. Wow. I'm just getting emotional because I'm thinking how hard that must have been for you to, you know, worry about them and, and know that they're getting the right care when you're all the way over here. <laughs> that mm-hmm. must have been really hard. It was, it was very difficult. Um, I'm very much a type A person, so I like to have my control. I like to know what's going on. Um, and uh, not having that was, was very difficult, not knowing what would happen. We were very, very blessed to have an incredible foster family that cared for and loved our boys um, in the Congo. And they're still very, very, like I, oh, that's what gets me teary um, is what they invested in our boys and cared for them and showed them that love that um, they couldn't have without us there. Um, so that was kind of the only, that was the big thing that kept us going in that time. I mean, I've had a lot of time to process it. I've had a lot of times to tell that story, but uh, depending on the day, <laughs> it definitely right. can, um, you know, evoke still gut-wrenching emotions that was that was incredibly traumatic for sure and and for the boys too right because I never had answers I as much as the quality time that I spent with them it, over those about two months kind of in total that I was over there was fantastic and incredible for bonding and attachment and all of those things but at the end of the day they had to go back to where they were and then you know literally almost strangers put them on the plane um our Canadian ambassador and another um, adoptive family from the Edmonton area literally picked them up in Kinshasa, um, hopped them on a plane. There was three adults and eight kids under the age of seven. An overnight flight to Brussels where, where we met them all. And that was just because no one had visas anymore. They'd expired. They weren't good anymore because it was just a mess. But yeah, it's, uh, wow. it's a roller coaster. <laughs> wow. Amazing story, though. And Thank amazing. You. It is amazing, incredible. the The other side of it that I'm thinking is like, oh my gosh, you go from one to three, literally <laughs> overnight, under five. I'm just in my brain. I'm just like, oh my gosh, that was, <laughs> that must have been like a whole other thing, right? Now you're trying to bond and like still give, you know, everyone the attention they deserve, and like try to mm-hmm. shuffle all these things. And plus, you're were you working? Uh, no, I had I had taken leave um, before I traveled the second time. Um, so it was May of 2015. I took leave from teaching, and that was the last time I've actually been in the classroom. So I wasn't I wasn't teaching. I wasn't working. I mean, I had worked my own business. So it 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 backburnered for a little while for sure. You got to remember when the boys came home. So they were two and a half and three and a half years old, and they only spoke French. Um, I was gonna. That was which, my next question. <laughs> yeah. So I speak French, which obviously was one of the the draws that we had to the to the DRC. Um, because we could continue that with them and, and had that connection with them. But they only spoke French. My husband doesn't speak French. So I was operating in two languages constantly. Our daughter learned French pretty quickly <laughs> and our boys learned English pretty quickly kind of with it. Um, but you got to remember everything was new for them too. So it wasn't just like 
I didn't, I didn't ever have, you know, three kids under three, which is what my family could look like. I didn't have that. I didn't have three kids in diapers. I, I only potty trained one kid. So there are perks, you know, in this scenario, but our boys came home and they experienced snow for the first time. They'd never been in car seats before. Um, I remember the epic meltdown and don't get me wrong. They'd been traveling for, you know, 40 hours or whatever um, of strapping my kids into a winter jacket and a snow and a, then a car seat because those were completely foreign experiences. Our house wasn't familiar to us. We had pictures of our daughter and they'd seen our dog, but they were petrified of our dog because that wasn't normal. So, you know, all of these things, and I love them to death and, and, you know, won't leave them alone, but those are all things that most parents don't have. And then you look at our daughter's perspective. Most people, when they have a second kid, um, it takes about a year, give or take a year before that, like new sibling is in your grill. Well, these boys came into our house and they were straight up in our daughter's grill and she wasn't used to that she always talks you know people would say well do you have any brothers and sisters she's like yeah they're in the congo like doesn't everybody have brothers and sisters in the congo um but then all of a sudden they're in her face too right all of a sudden they're playing with her toys and they want to hang out and they want to do all those things so yeah there was definitely a, a lot going on it was a busy for a couple of years actually before i would say i finally breathed <laughs> you know that kind of like okay and we're good Totally. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing the fear of being like strapped in a car seat for the first time if you weren't used to it though, you know, like that mm-hmm. has to feel like pretty restrictive. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And like with everything else feeling foreign, I'm sure it was uh, an eventful drive home. <laughs> mm-hmm. And our, and our grocery stores are different and you know, our house is different than what they knew. It's cool. Thankfully that year was a mild winter. Like I'm still so thankful for that because I remember the snow, the first snowfall we were outside playing in. And thankfully it was just like one of those dream snowfalls where it's fluffy and light and big. And I remember my little guy going, Malili, mommy, Malili. And Malili means cold in Lingala, which is like, I know about five words in Lingala, which is the common language in um, Kinshasa. And uh, it just, just his face was like, oh, the last time he said that to me was when he had ice cream for the first time when we were over there. Because um, the snowdrops are like touching his face. And it was, yeah, it, it was a whole bunch of neat experiences for sure. Wow. Wow, that's special. I'm sure you've got a lot of those on tape, right? Some of them, yes. Some of them are yeah. not fast enough to get. But yeah, we do have a lot of, a lot of that for sure. Awesome. So another piece of this that I wanted to like get into, because as you know, obviously the, the George Floyd happening um, in a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago, there's sort of like this ongoing ripple effect from that where people are really starting to be like, Hey, you know, you have an interracial family. Some of your kids have white skin. Some of your kids have black skin you guys have this unique perspective on your world and then, you know, what that means as all of us trying to be allies or all of us trying to, I think we all have a responsibility in in this situation to be kind, good, caring humans and raise those kind, good, caring humans. So I I really, like, I honestly really am interested in hearing, you know, what kind of conversations are are happening in your home or, you know, how, how does it, has all that affected you guys? Yeah. So um, I think just to kind of take it back a little bit, as we did our international adoption and, and, and knew we were going to be part of a transracial family, we started doing a lot more education and learning um, that I see a lot of people doing right now. So I look at kind of my, my spot on this journey, because I think it really is a journey, really started like eight years ago right? Seven, eight years ago, when we started doing the research and looking at this and looking at what does it really mean to be a transracial family? What does it really mean um, to have kids of color? Um, 
you know, when we first started the process, we obviously didn't know if we were going to have sons or daughters or how that was going to look. But, um, you know, once I knew I had two sons um, and knowing that perception in that research, I mean, fear, fear started to move in my heart. And I think one thing that I really want Edmonton to hear is that I have had people say to me all along, well, you know, we're in Canada. And, and I want to shake you and wake you up because that is such a false sense of security. No, I don't believe we have the same degree um, of discrimination and racism toward Black people in Canada as we do in many places of the U.S., don't get me wrong, but we have this issue with our First Nations people, and we definitely have this issue with people of color and different different um, communities that in different cultures that have come to Canada and, and made it such a beautiful place. There is still so much hate towards them um, by some people. So I need people to be aware of that and, and see that. Yeah, I was awoken to this white privilege and to this white fragility much ahead of two weeks ago <laughs> where so many people started to actually kind of do it so with that I guess comes a, a sense of relief because for years I've you know we've been trying to educate people from our family to um, our co-workers to our, our kids friends our peers like all of these people we've been having those conversations and trying to talk about it and you know I've been go- going to the store and trying to find a diversity in dolls and in toys and in characters if there's a superhero that is not white, it is in my house. If, you know, like my parents, to give you context, my parents traveled to the Caribbean at one point and it was in the Caribbean that they were able to bring us back two black baby dolls because I couldn't find them in Edmonton. And I wanted those things in our house. And that's what we talk about when we talk about white fragility. Sorry, white privilege. And then when people say, well, oh, you know, I didn't mean, or I don't know, that's your fragility. And I need you to sit in that. I need you to feel what this is because here's the thing. This isn't about you. It's always been about you. It's always, and, and not directly you as a person. I mean, you, you two ladies that I'm speaking to are two of the kindest, most giving people that I, you know, I've met in a long time. Um, but just by the nature of the color of our skin, we have these things and, and we have to be uncomfortable with it. You know, that this assault, this genocide, honestly, of, black men in in the U.S. is something that has hurt my heart and brought fear to my heart for years. I remember when Trayvon Martin was shot and I was like, okay, my boys can't wear hoodies outside. Like I can't have them put their hood up. Um, hoods up, not hoods. Yeah, hoods up. <laughs> so I can't, you know, like just more things to put on my list of what I need to teach them. We chose to move out of Sherwood Park, which is a predominantly white community. Yes, it is more diverse than it used to be, but it's not, it's not diverse. <laughs> it's not a diverse community. And we chose to move to South West Edmonton because we knew we could have that. It's so important to have mirrors um, in our community for our sons so that they can see other people when they go into the grocery store, when they go to church, when they go to school, they need to see people that look like them because they don't see us. You know, we don't look like them that way. And I think this is so important and people don't always get that they questioned they questioned that you know and there's just a lot that we need to open our eyes to and be aware of you know a lot of people have not walked ever walked into a room where they are the minority and I think that I honestly believe that's something we all need to experience have you walked into a room or a location or anything like that where you are a minority you are visibly a minority you are the white person or the one of the two white people um, that are there and in so many places in our world, that's how people of color experience. So I guess for me, it's to really take a look at, at where you are. I mean, white privilege isn't something that you chose. 
I hear a lot of apologies from people. Oh, I'm so sorry, this is what you've had to experience. And that apology, I don't know, I, I, I'm not a person of color. So I speak in this in-between kind of community, right? It, this in-between space where I advocate for my sons who right now are protected by my privilege, right? When they walk with me to the grocery store, they are protected by my privilege. Um, but in not very long, I mean, Sherry, you've met my boy. <laughs> they are going to be big black men. And totally. I'm so proud of that. And that scares the crap out of me at the very same time. Because when they drive into my neighborhood, when they're 16 or 17 years old, or, you know, the neighborhood down the street, someone's going to question them. Why are you here? If they don't know them, if they, you know, walk into a new friend's house, and we don't know them when they get to high school, and you know, like, I know all their friends now. But at the same time, we've dealt with racial issues at the school. We've had comments of, don't touch me with your dirty brown skin. Ugh. You know, like this exists where we are. And there's so like, I've just been all over the place, but there's so many emotions because I right now feel hope that there are other people who are joining me on this ally team of we need to do better. We need to make changes. We need to raise a generation that is not going to be this way. I don't want them to be colorblind. That is the last thing I want them to be. Please don't ever tell me you are colorblind. I want you to see the beauty and the history that comes from all of our backgrounds and our skin tones that tell that story, right? I want, to, I want you to see the beauty of where my sons come from and that they are proud of the color of their skin. I want you to see the beauty of First Nations women who have a story to tell, have a history to tell, you know, of, of immigrant families who have come to this nation who have busted their butts to contribute to our country. I want those stories to be heard and to be seen. Please see color and the beauty that comes with it, but advocate for the fact that we all deserve to be treated on a level playing field with things. Yeah. Wow. Ooh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, this is amazing. I'm, I'm actually just going to share an experience and there's this part of me that feels a little bit guilty, but then I was like, I just think about the the like love that came from it. This just happened to me the other day, actually. And I was parked on the side of the road. I'm waiting for my clients to, to meet me at a, a property. And this guy like flies up behind me and it was like a side road, flew, like really fast, kind of cut a car off and then backed up and then got out of his car really quickly, came to the back and then by my passenger. And I had this moment of slight fear. My, you know, I looked, my car wasn't locked. I wasn't going to lock it. Cause I was like, okay, I managed my surroundings, but he walked up really past, right back past my passenger door, got on a hill, rolled out his mat and started praying. And he was right in front of me praying. And I was just watching him. And I was like, I got so emotional because it was, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever watched actually, mm -hmm. because it went from this like slight fear and it wasn't huge fear because I'm very aware of my surroundings but just because it happened like I said so fast to mm -hmm. like the most beautiful thing I was watching that was like right in front of me you know and it was yeah and I um you know I've dated black men I've I have been the only white woman in in a black place before and it is a bit of an uncomfortable feeling where you just notice mm -hmm. that everybody is watching you um and so I had a little bit of guilt for feeling feeling that but um it's amazing how much it just opened me up to to not just to to every race that is feeling the the um you know just feeling not just out of place in in a place where they should feel very much at home you know mm -hmm. and it's amazing how um somebody that is really open still has, at moments feels those little bits of of like i said fear that i feel guilty for feeling in that moment so it's interesting because Alberta and Edmonton is becoming so much more 
so many more people coming from all over the place. And I think that is something to really embrace and experience and learn about because me watching him pray, I was like, that is beautiful. And the commitment to your culture and it's just, you know, I think that we all can just really learn from other people and, and really love what they love and see the beauty in it. And it's interesting time that it's all just making us go, everybody's eyes are just a little wider. Right. And, you know, um, I've definitely, I felt that uncomfort. I mean, I, I've walked into an airport where I am the white woman that, that's there, yeah. which immediately makes me like stand right out. Right. Um, and, and spending my time in Kinshasa and places like that. But, you know, I, I salute Edmonton in, in many ways. I mean, there are so many cultural opportunities in Edmonton for people to learn about. Um, Heritage Jesus is an incredible festival, but I really want people to understand that going to eat some great food from around the world doesn't make you an ally. It, it gives you experiences, but talking to people makes you allies. Talking to people about their experiences here and learning about those cultures. I mean, Edmonton over the last few years has had um, something called Afrofest, which is fantastic. The, the name has changed a couple times, but there is deep-rooted culture and we have such a diverse community. Things are there. I mean, there's an incredible event of, unfortunately, COVID has messed with it, but this year, um, the Natural Hair Show, right, where um, people of color and, bi and biracial and, you know, people like myself are going to learn about how to embrace the beauty of textured hair um, and, and those things exist and they just need a bigger voice and a bigger platform in our community I mean I love our kids school don't get me wrong um, but I had to bring in information about Black History Month and I said here here's a bag of display I just went and bought all of this for you because it's Black History Month and you need to do something about it and it went up and I mean in light of all things happening it, it just amplifies even more so that black history should not be a month. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in Canada too, because we have some deep roots in black history in Canada. We have beautiful roots in it. I mean, this was, our country was the place where enslaved people tried to escape to, you know, like, and, but there's hurt that comes with that. There's pain, there's story, there's, you know, all sorts of stuff that have built this. I mean, Alberta has a, a deep-rooted um, Black community as well. From way back, the museum did a beautiful exhibit, I don't even know if it's still there, about Alberta and, and our people of colour and the roots that are here go back, you know, generations. So there's so much for people to learn right here, which I think is beautiful and empowering. And that's why this has to not just be a trend. This has mm -hmm. to not just be, hey, listen, I posted my Black Square, like, look at me, or, hey, I watched one video wow, like I woke, you know, like, no, th this is, as this has to be actions, this has to be stepping up, this has to be checking people on things and being okay with being checked, mm -hmm. right? Like when someone says to you, hey, listen, that's not okay. Like that's microaggression, you know? And if you don't know what a microaggression is, go research it. I mean, on my Instagram, I created a new little highlight um, that is just information that I've been gleaming and sharing to try to help people and, re and sources of information to learn because that's what we have to do. If we're going to be better, we have to learn and we have to be uncomfortable and we need to be okay. And we need to respect our uh, Black friends and, and family and, and people that we know, our community, and not necessarily bombard them with questions, give them the space they need because they are processing some heavy, a lot of syllables, processing some heavy stuff right now. Um, but we have to listen to them and we have to continue to do that and sit and be quiet and hear what they have to say, no matter how much it hurts us, because the hurt that these communities have felt for so long is greater than 
will ever understand. Cat's got Sherry's tongue. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many things I want to say. I just... <laughs> I talked to you No, it's all good. It's, it's so all good. good. Honestly, I'm going to be checking out your, your new Insta handle. <laughs> that's why I thought you, that's why I wanted to have you on the show is because I think there's so many um, conversations happening that people don't necessarily know what's next or where do I go from here and all this, because like all of the stuff I've been seeing all the stuff that you're posting. It's amazing because it's, it's action orientated and it, there's also pieces in there that make you think, you know, you, I think we all have a responsibility in this. And before all this happened, I would be like, Oh yeah, I'm an ally. Like I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. But when you really sit with it and think about it, I think there's still opportunities for all of us to be better. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's the thing. I mean, I, I wrestled with this. It took me, a lot of people, you know, were messaging me and asking me different things. And, and it took me a while actually before I sat down and kind of drafted even just a post, right? I mean, it's so funny that that's how we have to acknowledge the world is in a post, but um, there have been times in my journey over the years and I can look back and go, I should have said something there. And I, and I didn't say something there. Um, and, and that all of this is, has reminded me of that and and that I felt that very hard because I, I I feel like I have that much I want to and I feel like I have that much greater weight of, of being an ally um, because it's so close to home for me but we all have that weight um, and I think that's what we need to remember is we, we need to be better um, we need to start earlier and we need to be better I am so thankful for some of the uh, kids are amazing in the sense that they make the best friends and um, we have gotten even more allies and mirrors in our life because of our, our family. And I'm so grateful for the community of Edmonton, the, the, the black community of Edmonton um, and, and the parts that I'm connected to that have embraced us. Because when a white woman, a blonde white woman walks into a barber shop that is predominantly black men and goes, Hey, I need you to, you know, help me out. Um, I have had some fantastic conversations. And they've asked me great questions and I've asked them great questions and I've learned because that's so important and that's part of a culture that's there, right? And just understanding those things and talking to people about it. If we, if we don't do those, if we don't start those hard conversations and realize where we've lacked in our allyship and where we've excelled, then we're never going to be better. And that's what we need to do, right? Um, I throw down challenges to people like next time you go buy a book for your kid or your grandkid, make a conscious effort to find a book that has a, a person of color as a protagonist or buy a doll or a Lego set or a superhero or whatever it is. And if we aren't going to the store and demanding that these things be in our stores to fill our kids' playrooms and bookshelves, then it's not going to happen. And if you go to the store and you don't find a doll, a black doll, a male, female, whatever, if you don't find one, then you need to go to that counter and say, excuse me, but I've walked up and down your aisle 12 times. Can you tell me where your non-white dolls are? Oh, you don't have any? Then I need you to get some, right? And you need to make those things known. We need to hold our stores accountable to that. We need to hold our teachers accountable to that. I mean, I brought in, after we dealt with some of the issues this year, I brought in our massive pile of kids books 
that talk about beauty of, you know, different skin colors that talk about, that have characters as protagonists that have all these different, um, different things. There's some amazing resources that are out there and they're finally getting seen. Scholastic is great. Um, they have some great opportunities and, and books that are there, but we need to do those things and, and we all need to do that. And, you know, not just have, not to say, oh, well, you know, I have like a book. A book isn't good enough. Here's my mm-hmm. book on diversity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. It's not okay, right? It's the same thing as the same thing as having those books that talk about different kinds of families, right? That talk about families with two moms and two dads, or you know, all these different steps and everything. Like it's normal to have books that and stories that talk about step parents, right? But why isn't it normal that we talk about families that don't match? Mm-hmm. You know, and I will, I love having conversations with my kids' friends. Like I don't have them anymore because they know who I am and that I'm their mom. But the first few years of like kindergarten. So you're his mom. <laughs> yeah. Um, kids are you are sure awesome. you're his mom? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, pretty certain. Mm-hmm. But your skin color is not the same. No, nope, it's not. Well, why not? And then we'd have the conversation, right? He didn't grow in my tummy. He grew in another mommy's tummy, but I get to be his mom now. And it doesn't matter that we don't match because he's still my kid, mm-hmm. right? And, and that helps because we have, you know, you have biracial friends and families, you have all these things. We have to normalize those differences, but honor them. When you were saying that you're walking down the aisles and you'd go to the counter, I felt proud of you and I could picture you doing that. <laughs> Just like, excuse me. Like, <laughs> hello. <Yeah. laughs> I felt really proud. Like, I just pictured the whole thing. It was very clear. <laughs> and you see this, and I feel, always feel bad for like the kid that's working the counter. That's like, right. Oh, they're like, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, buddy, you can call your manager, let him know that there's crazy white ladies standing here. But I would like to know where your, you know, diversity is in your toys. And we have to demand it. We just have to. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So I know there's a lot of, they say, you know, when George Floyd called out for his mom, he called out all moms. <laughs> it's okay, Sarah. <laughs> oh, I know. It's heavy. I'm going to edit this part out. <laughs> I don't think you should, Sherry. I don't think you should. No, I agree. I think this is what people need to be feeling right now. You know, that, um, like I said, Sarah called me and felt the exact same way. She said he was calling for my mom and all I could think about was my boys. And I think I'm not a mother, but I can, I can only imagine I want to be a mom. And if that was my kid or, you know, it's just, it makes it very, very, very real. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think there are so many tears that I have shed every time I hear one of these stories, yeah. you know, over the last eight years, seven, eight years, um, so many tears and anger and frustration. And um, I, on, like, I have a notebook in my head that is, what are the things I need to say to them? What are the things I need to teach them so this doesn't happen? Um, and I, I'm not happy that other moms are finally hearing it, but there's there's a, a piece of me that feels like the weight that's sitting on my shoulders um, is being carried by other moms because we're freaking mighty. Um, mom, that, that mama bear expression is real, right? Like we were at the at the rally um, on Friday, and 
as moms, we, we go through scenarios in our head. What, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? Right. That's what, that's what we as moms do. Um, and I'm walking in the death grip I had on my kids because there's part of me that goes, what if that supremacist is here? What if that I could use a whole bunch of words, but I'm not going to, cause I'm going to make this G rated. But what if that person is here that decides to verbally or heaven forbid physically come at my family um, in a situation like this, because we're all targets at, at, a, at a point like that. And your awareness, like you, like you were talking about, Jesse, just was on around you and, you know, you're super vigilant, not to mention the fact that you're trying to socially distance and doing, you know, all of those things in this context, but we are so aware of it. And, and I am, I find relief in knowing that there are other moms that are aware of it. Um, because Sherry, you and, and Jesse, when you have kids, your kids are, and uh, alongside of mine, are going to be the next generation of police officers, of teachers, of doctors, of lawyers, of advocates, of nurses, of everybody. And we have that responsibility to teach them the value of difference, but that people are people. And that every, that like the, the marginalized has to matter so that everybody can matter. Mm-hmm. We have that responsibility. It's a heavy freaking responsibility. Totally. totally. <laughs> um, and we're not going to be perfect, but we have to, again, be better. better. Yeah. Because like anything, right? I, not all cops are bad. Not all teachers are bad. Not all doctors are bad. Not all nurses are bad. But there are cases of all of these people all of these professions who have done wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I think um, one of the things that I wanted to share was, you know, the sort of this message of hope from the next generation. Um, I was with my boys on Friday and we were kind of just out of the house driving around and I was like, what do you guys want to do next? And um, Ty goes, let's go to the legislature. It was Friday when the rally was. It was almost like he like intuitively knew somehow, like we never talked about it or anything like that, right? And I was like, well, it's going to be really busy there. And they're like, well, why? And I was like, well, there's, this is the first time I like brought it up with my kids, right? I was like, well, there's a riot because, um, you know, a policeman killed a man and people are really upset about it. And uh, well, why? And so they keep going further and further and I was like well it has to do with racism and I was like do you know what that is and Brendan was like I don't but I don't think I want to know and I was like well it has to do with um, treating somebody differently because of the color of their skin and he this this is the part that I think um, gives me hope is he he showed he showed a, a level of compassion and simple, uh, not sympathy, empathy for people with colored skin. He literally got, he vomited. He had to get out of the car. Yeah. It's amazing how much kids teach us, you know, like, like how much it, that stuff, like, uh, well, they're just so, um, like everything soaks up, right? So they're, they just feel it right in their gut. And that, that is, 
it's like I said, it's amazing. And, and that's how we all should be feeling it. I think that, you know, and I, more people are, they're, they're seeing it, they're feeling it in their, in their gut. Whereas before it was a little bit maybe easier to ignore, you know, and it's like, there's no more ignoring it anymore. And that's, yeah. it's, it's devastating what's happened and what's happened for a really long time, but hopefully the people ignoring it is not going to happen anymore. And I think the kids, as we talked about with Andrew, are going to be the ones holding the adults accountable. Totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And I was kind of taken back because it was like a physical response. Like it was his natural innate response right and I was like holy smokes like this is a whole nother level of just caring for people for who they are right mm-hmm. and so and Carrie, I, th- I mean knowing your sons um your sons have your sons have are, deal with a different level of privilege like a, a different a viewpoint of privilege and experience of that because your your sons have had to answer questions too um and I think that brings an incredible awareness and, and knowing you as a person, I know that you have raised them with empathy and you have raised them with these things like that. That's who your boys are. And, and I'm grateful that there are people like that that exist in the world that can see those things without having to see them in, in that sense. You know, um, I, I keep, I have think I keep having a flash forward um, of my life one day sitting with my grandkids and I don't know what my grandkids are going to look like because I don't know who my kids are going to fall in love with um, or have baby, make babies with whatever. But I have this vision of my, my grandkids sitting there and talking to them about what they're learning about in school and that they're learning about what happened with George Floyd and like the minute the world woke up. Like I have this, this vision. I mean, you asked me where I was when Kurt Cobain and Princess Di died, I can tell you, but I want my kids to, to I want them to ask me that question about George Floyd. Um, and I want to be able to talk about these things and I want them to remember it. And I think that every time that we go back in history and we learn from what's happened, and that's what's happening right now is like, there's these layers coming off that have just been piled over top of the truth for so long that we're seeing those things. We're, we, we are at the cusp of a major societal worldwide change. I mean, when you think about where all these rallies happened and, and who was a part of them and, and statues being toppled down. Yeah. I, I lost my mind um, with like a mix of emotions and feelings when I watched a statue of King Leopold in um, uh, Belgium being torn down because he is the king that came and just completely um, destroyed the Congo and, and obliterated it and raped and pillaged it and, and destroyed that country. And those people are still working so hard, man, they are resilient to build that country up to what it should be in this world. Um, but just pulling back those layers and there's so much information right now. There are, you know, so many great documentaries to be watched. If you haven't seen the 13th on Netflix, go watch that, um, go watch movies and sit and go, okay, like put a post-it on your TV that said, would this have happened if they are white? Um, you know, I, oh, blanking on the name right now, it was a Netflix limited miniseries about the, the five boys in New York um, who were jailed for the rape of a white woman in Central Park um, when they see us, I think is what it was. Yeah. But there's so many things that you can go back and look at, or even just reading the book and, and then later watching the movie because I think the book is just better, uh, The Hate You Give, to see that perspective yeah. of this happening. Like there's so many resources that are out there and this is the time that we need to take them all in so that we can be better and we can stand up for it and not let these microaggressions happen, right? Let these things happen. Like I don't ever want to hear the word exotic, you know, when speaking about my kid's friend who is biracial 
right? Like, don't come and rub your hand on my kid's head as a microaggression because you're white curious about the texture of their hair. It's none of your freaking business. Like, these are all microaggressions and these are things that have been normalized in our society and it's not okay. So we just have to do those things and get better about it and see where the world's been pulled over our eyes Mm -hmm. um, in so many ways. Well, this has really built the momentum for what's what's to come, right? And so as long as everybody, like you said, people just don't go quiet. Like I said, it's not trendy. And if, as long as this is something that the conversation continues, which it really should, what we don't want is it to go here and then and then back down, you know? Yeah, um, yeah the momentum has definitely, definitely begun and, and too late, unfortunately. You know, a little late, mm-hmm. not too late, a little late, a lot it's late. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Says, right? yeah, a yeah. lot late for sure. Yeah. I mean, Sherry and I have grown up in, in Slave Lake and obviously the native community up there is pretty prominent and we've, you know, seeing, seeing um, the dic- discrimination that's gone, you know, for that culture for so long too. And they've been fighting for, for a long time. And it's, it's interesting that everybody talks about, they go individually, but it's like, okay, let's build everybody up. Everybody deserves mm-hmm. to be, to be equal. And at the end of the day, we, we start with what we were given. And if you were, you know, started off in a bad place and nobody believed in you, then what, you know, we need to believe in these people and see the, see everybody, you know, see everybody as equals and encourage and, and build them up. And, um, yeah, this has been definitely a long time coming and I'm just so proud of the people that I know of what they've, you know, where their hearts are and where they're going to continue to, to shine and, and educate and I'm going to continue learning. And yeah, it's awesome in a lot of ways of where, where we're going to be in the next, you know, coming years, coming months, yeah. coming weeks, yeah. tomorrow, I think so. right? Right. Absolutely. And I, you know, I always look and go, if there's one more person that's on the, on our team, then we're doing good, you know, and if we can keep doing that. And I think it's important to remember that our dollars speak a lot, where we spend our dollars, who we support with our dollars, mm-hmm. um, you know, looking and there are some incredible black owned businesses in uh, Edmonton, you know, Sugar Bowl is a black owned business. There are incredible, like just off the top of my head, but there's a great, um, I'll, I'll send it to you, Sherry, so we can link it in their um, Instagram sure. account. Um, but there's, you know, there's, Speak with your dollars. That's a big part of it too, right? Spend your money to support a community that isn't there or to not support companies that aren't doing it. Or do you see diversity in the marketing of the companies that you are spending money with? Are you seeing that? If you scroll somebody's Instagram page and they're advertising um, you know, clothing, are you seeing representation in that? Are you choosing where to spend it? Are you um, supporting companies who um, profile customers walking in and use code names for black customers coming in because they need to be watched more. You know, like, are you, yeah, mm-hmm, huh. mm-hmm. Uh, I could say names, but follow me and you can check it. Um, <laughs> but uh, there are so many things that are out there. So do that research and be smart about where you are sending your money because that impacts us too, right? Build up mm-hmm. what needs to be built up and don't let, especially these large corporations, um, that are not diverse, that are spewing one thing and then supporting a political campaign on the other side of it, that's huge. And as Canadians being so close to the U.S., our dollars go to, you know, go to the U.S. in a lot of different ways. And we need to know those things because we need to know where to support them. So, um, I, I honestly, thank you so much for having this conversation because... I think more people want to have it. They just don't know how yet. So I think I'm hoping that this conversation 
will continue to open people's eyes and continue for them to self-reflect and say, what can I do better? What is my responsibility in this? And then how can I support, right? And so I appreciate all of your honesty and sharing all, you know, about your family with us. I think your family is amazing, obviously. Likewise, um, friend. <laughs> I know we're going to have, this is just part one. We're going to have to have you on again because there's still a whole lot we haven't even covered about you. And <laughs> totally. <laughs> And, and where you like your heart came from and where you're like want to give back is. So we'll see you again. <laughs> totally. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. And yeah, just listen and, um, and listen. And the thing I challenge a lot of people is that look around to immediately to your closest group of people. And if it is all one color, you need to ask yourself why, because if it is all one color and those are the people that you are hearing and the voices you are seeing and the, and the things that you're doing, then then just seriously reflect on why that is because in our world today, there is no reason that that's what it should be in Edmonton. There's no reason that that's what it should be. Um, are you choosing subconsciously not to have that be the case and what can you do better to learn and to ask and to advocate? So yeah, just listen and look and reflect, but then make sure that you really are amplifying those melanated voices and, and, and hearing what they have to say and not then trying to justify it or white explain it or, you know, not repeat and you know not try to grow because you feel fragile um, mm-hmm. after learning all these things we have to we have to step past this oh this makes me uncomfortable um, and act and, and do it so um, we always wrap up our shows by asking you know how you want to be remembered you know the history of legacy and my dad passed away and so that's how this sort of a snowball thing happened and it's all about how do we want to be remembered and you know, what we do daily, even if it's a little bit at a time, it all adds up um, to make a big impact in the end. So, you know, if, if Cam and Joe and Riley are watching this or their grandkids or your great grandkids at some point, and they're listening to this, what what do you, what do you want to say to them? Um, That we all deserve the opportunity to live our best lives. And I truly believe that living our own best life comes from helping other people live theirs. It's a shared experience of, of best lives. And so the more we give to others, the, the more we are given to. Um, and that's, that's the biggest thing we do, giving that love and that empathy and that support um, and that empowerment to others is really what empowers us to be our best selves. Yeah, I love it. This is uh, obviously a very emotional conversation for me um Mm -hmm. but i i appreciate it and i'm continuing to learn and listen and support and amplify as well so um thank you for being here thank Thank you you. if you were inspired by our show please take a moment to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen and share with friends you can always find show notes at loveyegshow.ca Keep listening.